Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. How often do you assume the worst-case scenario when facing a difficult situation? When was the last time that someone invited you to a party and you started worrying about it months in advance? Do you stress about situations that haven't happened yet? We all can learn how our minds work and how to work with them. Hi everybody, this is Dr. Z and I am back with another episode of the Playing It Safe podcast. When we are dealing with worries, anxieties and fears, we all play it safe. It's natural. To play it safe is human. And sometimes we don't realize how we are playing it safe. If you get stuck thinking about doom and gloom scenarios... If you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake. If you spend hours and hours searching for information to make a decision, but you don't take any action, it's quite likely that you're playing it safe. In this episode, I interview Dr. Sally Winston, an anxiety expert. Sally has been recognized regionally and nationally for over 40 years for her expertise in the treatment of anxiety struggles. She has served multiple roles, including chair of the Clinical Advisory Board of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, and she has also received an award in 2011. She is the co-author of three books, What Every Therapist Needs to Know About Anxiety Disorders, Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts, and needing to know for sure. Her latest book is Overcoming Anticipatory Anxiety. In this episode, Sally and I discuss different skills to manage those future-oriented thoughts, to manage those disaster forecaster thoughts, and skills to also manage all those moments in which you get stuck in imagination. We dive into clarifying what is anticipatory anxiety, three different levels of fear, the difference between rumination and planning, how to shift from what if to what is, and you will also hear Sally's metaphor to handle uncertainty. And before I go, I want to encourage you to go to the website www.thisisdrz.com and subscribe to the Playing It Safe newsletter. Every Wednesday, I am sharing with my subscribers compassionate, actionable, and evidence-based skills to tackle ineffective planet-safe moves. 
I share with you skills in the form of a blog post, an article, or a podcast interview. I also share a special discounts, workshops, and other upcoming events I am hosting. So if you want to stop those ineffective planet safe moves and start living and building the life you want to live, you can go to the website and select the option Planet Safe Newsletter from the menu. I truly hope to see you there and let's jump onto the conversation with Dr. Sally Winston. Have a great day. Bye-bye. How did you get into metacognitions? Um, my first experience with, with uh, metacognitive work was the work of Claire Weeks, yeah. which was, um, which was uh, somebody who was looking at the process of how a person relates to their experience or their thoughts rather than their thoughts and their experience herself. And a lot of what she talked about was um, not uh, responding with a danger response to something that's just discomfort or distress. And mm -hmm. so really her work was groundbreaking. It was basically act and then, and having to incorporate into that, you know, all different stuff stemmed from. So I, I call my work, ACT-ish, CBT-ish, metacognitive-ish, my own-ish, because <laughs> it's, it's a melding. It's, a, it's, it's a, um, a, a trying to make a seamless a transition between all different systems. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, basically in the, in the new work um, about anticipatory anxiety, we end up with recommendations that are both a, a, that that include a metacognitive shift and an attitudinal shift, which is mm. basically um, changing how you experience your own uh, hijacked imagination. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think what I love, Sally, is that in a very unique way, you are acknowledging that we cannot have one single model to alleviate our clients' struggles, that sometimes we just have to really capture the golden nuggets of different models and dance with that a little bit. Because I think our clients require that. One single model may not fit every single thing. And especially with exposure, I think exposure works. But in my heart, I know it's not enough. There is so many more layers of complexity. And I like what you're saying. It's Sally-ish therapy. I love it. <laughs> I never know what to call it. <laughs> so we, we wanted to talk about anticipatory anxiety in this third, in the third, it's a series of three books. And right. the, the dialogues among the worried voice, false <laughs> comfort, and wise mind continue through the three books mm -hmm. so so they you know they should be read in order but what we what we wanted to talk about was um uh anticipatory anxiety because it hasn't had a lot of separate exploration and we think of it as the third layer of fear so mm -hmm. there's there's fear and then there's fear of fear mm -hmm. and then there's fear of fear of fear and that may sound a little weird, but it's like, I'm afraid of public speaking. That mm -hmm. would be first fear. And the fear of fear is I'm afraid I'm going to have a panic attack and freeze and humiliate myself when I'm public speaking. So I'm mm -hmm. afraid of my, but fear of fear of fear is 
I signed up for a talk that I have to do three months from now, and I'm not going to sleep for the next three months, and maybe I should cancel. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because, because it's the anticipation of having a terrible experience. And what that is, if you think about it, is it's the driver of avoidance behavior. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the, in order to not experience anticipatory anxiety, the very best thing you can do to make it go away is to decide to avoid. Of course. Right? Of course. So we think of it as the thing that drives, uh, drives every different form of avoidance, whether it's experiential or behavioral avoidance. Mm-hmm. People in an anticipatory state have different presentations but most of the things that they're using as so-called coping skills are actually mm-hmm. avoidance behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, and then we sort of take down all the different presentations of anticipatory anxiety. One is sort of planning to white knuckle. Mm-hmm. That's I'm going to do it. I don't, I have to do it. It's going to be horrible, but I'm going to like count my way through it. And I'll just, I'll just somehow or other manage it. And planning to white knuckle is one presentation of anticipatory anxiety. Another one is sort of head in the sand. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to pretend I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to maybe last minute I'll do it, but I'm going to, you know, there's that kind of way of coping. Then there's the, I'm going to set up all kinds of escape clauses for myself just in case, you know, I'm going to, okay, I'll go on the date, but I'll make sure somebody's going to call me an hour in in case I need an excuse and I'll have a drink ahead of time. And if I come into the restaurant and I see that he's ugly, I'll just leave. And, you know, sort of ruminations about how you might deal with it or cope or some or get out of it uh, you know and the the you know it, in a in another way that same thing would be to always buy refundable things right just in case you know you or 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 to buy eight of the same thing in different colors in case you might regret that you didn't buy the blue one you just buy all of them so there are all different ways of trying to keep yourself from being locked in or trapped and these sort of ruminations about coping skills when the coping skills are actually safety behaviors and avoidances. So that that's another way that people present. Um, And then there's the, um, the, this, this sort of oscillating situation where you're like, uh, last minute, I might not go, but I'm going to go. So it's, you're debating whether or not you're going to go every single moment when you're getting in the car to go to the airport, when you're driving to the airport, when you're parking your car at the airport, all the way to as you're walking down the, you know, the the entranceway to the plane, you're still, well, I could get off. And then it's like, well, can I get, you know, when they lock the door, that's when your anticipatory anxiety is over because you're committed. right so it looks different but it's it's all anticipatory anxiety Mm -hmm. if people are listening to us and they are dealing with fears of applying for a job or fears of not having a good job interview or fears of public speaking or fears of something going wrong in the next vacation trip they are going to take how could they check if they are dealing with some form of anticipatory anxiety 
So there's, there's different kinds of anticipatory anxiety. The most common is the one that you described, which is when you are being hijacked by your imagination. In other words, something is coming up mm-hmm. and then you, you make a narrative in your mind with a catastrophic ending. Yeah. And then you watch the movie over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And, and during that period of time, you're actually absorbed in your imagination and you're not paying attention to what's real in front of you right now. You're paying, you're paying- attention to the story you've made up. Mm-hmm. And, when, and when you notice that you're doing that, mm-hmm. um, at, then you have a chance of stepping outside the story and saying, wait a minute, this is a story. It's not real. I'm not actually dealing with it. If it's okay, if I push the envelope a little bit, can I be a little bit sassy <laughs> in a good way? <laughs> so let's say that I am concerned about this conversation will go. And I look at you and I see how welcoming you are with me and how passionate you are about the work you have been doing for years. And then my mind comes with a story. What if something goes wrong in this podcast and then Sally gets cranky with me and she doesn't like me and then she doesn't have to have another interview any longer. And while you are chatting, I am kind of like somehow being present, but my mind is trapped into this narrative. I'm watching the movie that you got upset with me. You don't want to have lunch or dinner with me at ADAA. You're not going to respond to my emails. So... Will that be one form in which suddenly I am trapped into this story as an anticipation of this awful outcome? Will that make sense? Yes, yes. And of course, what happens is you start paying less attention to what I'm saying. And you and you start stumbling around because you don't have a response because you haven't really been listening. And then you start feeling very uncomfortable. And that's all part of the process of being absorbed in your imagination instead of the present moment. Yeah. yeah. So the thing to do at that point mm-hmm. is to notice what you're doing mm-hmm. and say, look what I'm doing to myself. Mm-hmm. And then to move away from what if, Mm -hmm. which is where you are in some sort of imagined future, what Mm -hmm. if, Mm -hmm. to what I call what is. Mm -hmm. And what is, is what's happening right now in the sensory reality world that's going on right now. And that includes all the input, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what, what you're experiencing in the moment, including our conversation and not the movie you're watching in your head. So you, you shift your perspective from thinking, 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 thinking back into sensory information and present moment information. And then you are here. Mm-hmm. What you can't do is turn off the movie. That's right. right? It will be running so in the background. <laughs> it's going to be running in the background on another channel. But we all have plenty of channels. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I love that. And thank you for jumping with me on this example. Um, so sometimes I teach my clients to go back to their bodies or to look at their bodies as a way to transition from their heads into what is happening in the moment. Like I may encourage my clients to wiggle your toes a little bit, maybe press your hand a little bit softly against your legs as a way to use your body to bring yourself back into the present. 
would you encourage people to do something like that? Because I know sometimes our mind really take us into these disaster forecaster stories. Sometimes right. my mind writes a telenovela. Everything looks bad. <laughs> so, so let me respond to that um, in a somewhat complicated way. Because when you take actions in the moment, it is not the action itself that helps you. Mm-hmm. It's the intention of the action. So if you are pressing your feet against the ground or tapping your fingers or doing that in order to make those scary thoughts go away, that effort works backwards. That's right. But if you're pressing so that it's not, I can't be thinking that awful stuff. If If you're pressing instead with, while part of my mind is doing that awful stuff, mm-hmm. I might as well be here in the present moment mm-hmm. where you're, it's a gentle redirection while including room for everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. That would include the, uh, is my bladder full channel, which is on all the time. We only check it once in a while, but we have thousands of channels. Mm-hmm. We don't, you, if what you're doing in real life is to try to make the distress go away. If you're effortfully working on feeling better or calming down or not thinking that, if there's effort involved, it works paradoxically. But if you are doing something which is more accepting, which is more while there's that stuff over there that's not very pleasant, I might as well listen to music or do something else or eat eat this sandwich. Uh-huh. If, if it's if it's a natural progression of things that where you're you're surrendering part of you to the experience and then you're just expanding your awareness, that's very different. So it's not just the action. It's the attitude with which the action is done. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for clarifying that. It is true. I think something that may look benign on the outside, like wiggling my toes, it could be used as a form of suppression or avoidance. And to your point, you were mentioning at the beginning that sometimes people will be using these coping skills to manage this anticipation. The challenge is that all of them are just safety-seeking behaviors. Um, can we chat about one of them? Okay. I think my clients have very busy minds like myself, right? We have very busy minds planning or preparing, right? It looks benign. Who doesn't plan for a trip you're going to take, your next job, the house you're going to buy? Of course, we plan things. We look at our budget. We look at time. But sometimes the planning becomes a way of minimizing my own distress. I'm trying to avoid negative outcomes. I'm trying to avoid all types of negative outcomes. So right. I would invite people to distinguish again when some of these behaviors that look benign. Yeah, I mean, between planning and worrying or ruminating, mm-hmm. right? Planning looks like it ought to be helpful. But the difference between a plan and ruminating or worrying is that the the planning stops when there's a plan mm-hmm. and ruminated worrying it's the yes but what if yes but what if round and round and round looping experience 
Mm -hmm. So a plan has an actual end point where what the plan you have is good enough for now, and now you could stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So that would be, uh, I have a toothache. I'm going to call the dentist. I get an appointment for tomorrow, and then it's on my books, and it's at 10 o'clock tomorrow. That's my plan. But worrying would be, what if the dentist gets sick? What if I can't get there? What if uh, the office is actually closed? Maybe I should check it was the wrong appointment. Maybe I should have a second backup dentist plan, you know, and so on. So the, it, it's, if it's real planning, it stops when there's a plan. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does right. make sense, yes. The other thing is that planning is full of reality and facts. That's right, no what-if thoughts. That's <laughs> <Right? laughs> worrying and ruminating is in your imagination. Mm-hmm. So and you can't you can't fix worrying with more worrying. That's right, that's right. But sometimes our minds do that. Now, mm-hmm. Sally, if I were in front of you, and even though I have a plan to go to see the dentist on Monday at 3 p.m., but we finish this conversation and I'm trying to move on with my day and boom, my mom tells me, Patricia, what if the dentist has a problem with her kid and cannot show up to the appointment? What will you encourage me to do? Knowing that, yeah, my mom will come again with these what if scenarios, even though I have an appointment ready to go. Right. What should I do in those moments? Okay, in those moments, you have to identify that you've been hijacked by your imagination and that there isn't anything actually going on and you can suffer making up a bunch of stories if you want to, but I would recommend that that's not going to make your time any better. A lot of people think also that that rumination or that worrying is somehow about getting ready for or being prepared. And that's also something that, it, that it's an illusion. And so the idea is to bring yourself back to what's true, which is I have a plan. Mm-hmm. And there's another piece, which is I am committed to that plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because what happens is people will often then waffle and oscillate around the plan. That's right. Should I go? Should I go? Yeah. And one of the things that we know is that anticipatory anxiety disappears when you decide not to do something, mm. but, and, it, and it increases when you don't commit to something, right? And it decreases when you make a commitment. Mm-hmm. Because when you make the commitment, my plan is tomorrow at 10, I'm going to the dentist. Mm-hmm. That's all I need to do. I'm committed to that. Mm-hmm. Then there's not all this tendency to maybe I'll go, maybe I won't go, maybe this, maybe that. You are committed. And making that commitment actually decreases anticipatory anxiety. So decisions increase and indecision, uh, I mean, decisions decrease anticipatory anxiety and indecision increases it, even while you're thinking that you're planning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. You know, so it's that commitment, that piece of um, no matter how I feel or whatever happens, then I will do that. Now, there's another piece that's involved, and that is you have the opposite of doubts is not certainty. Mm. It's trust. 
Do you mind unpacking that a little bit? And if it's okay, let's bring another example. Sometimes I travel with a collection of fears, right? I have all types of fears. I have been afraid of making financial decisions, choosing the wrong partner, um, or public speaking uh, the last three months. Um, I'm thinking about, um, should I write? Should I write this next project I'm very passionate about? And I genuinely have been going back and forth. I don't know. There is the doubt about, will I add something to the literature? Is it a topic that people are interested on? How much time is going to take me? Do I have enough to come up with a whole book? Or should I do something shorter? Is this a project I should pursue right now, given where my life is? So there is all those doubts. And you mentioned that the opposite of doubt is not certainty. So let's say that I say, okay, by Friday next week, I will make a decision about whether I write this book or not. Mm -hmm. And that's my commitment that next Friday, I will send you an email saying, okay, I decided X. So how do we unpack that the opposite of doubt is not certainty, but trust. Trust. So um, let me... Let me uh, steal a metaphor from a friend of mine. Lovely. Mm -hmm. There's a an eagle on a uh, on a tree branch mm -hmm. sitting on the tree, mm -hmm. and the eagle notices that the branch has a crack in it. Mm -hmm. Okay, but he's not anxious. Mm -hmm. Why isn't he anxious? Well, I can tell you what he's not doing. He's not trying to calculate whether or not his weight is too much for the crack. Mm. He's not trying to tell himself it probably won't crack today. Mm -hmm. He's not telling himself how often do things like that really happen. He's not trying to reassure himself that the crack isn't going to cause a problem. The reason he's not anxious is that he can fly and he knows it. Oh. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, and uh, uh, one of my therapists used to say all the time, I'll be there when I get there. Mm -hmm. I'll have me. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of what, what helps is being able to trust that should unlikely things happen that are mm -hmm. bad, mm -hmm. we'll handle it. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to prepare every little piece of uh, script for every possible thing that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. You'll be there when you get there. Mm -hmm. You'll handle it. And that's what I mean by trust. Not that I need to know for sure that I'm making the right decision. But whatever decision I take, if something unusual or that I hadn't thought of or that comes out of left field messes it up, I'll handle it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't have to know how now, mm -hmm. but I'll be there when I get there and I'll have me. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's what I mean by trust. We have to, we have to allow that we can't know for 100% sure anything in the future mm -hmm. and, and, and to tell the truth, anything in the present either, for sure, for sure, for sure. But most of the time we operate with a sense of certainty 
even though we can't actually, if we were really, really honest about it, know for sure. Mm-hmm. When I say to somebody, I'll meet you at the corner store for a cup of coffee at 10 o'clock. I don't say, provided I don't have a stroke and drop dead between now and then. <laughs> I haven't heard that. <laughs> right? That's possible. That's right. But I don't even have to have a plan for that. In fact, I don't even have to think about it. In fact, it doesn't even cross my mind. Mm-hmm. Is it for certain? For certain? No. Right. So understanding what certainty is, is just a feeling. It doesn't mean you can't have any doubts ever. Mm -hmm. It does mean that you have to trust that you'll be there when you get there. Mm -hmm. I'm smiling. For you, I think the issue about making a commitment for next Friday and Mm -hmm. making a decision on that day has to do with whether or not the thinking that you're doing now is productive thinking or unproductive thinking, right? Is this something that is leading you in the direction of making a decision? Mm-hmm. And is it, or is it just a bunch of distressing self-criticism and worrying? Mm-hmm. If that's the case, you make a date and a commitment to make a decision. Mm-hmm. But if what you're doing is productive thinking about something and, and gradually narrowing down your topic or gradually coming to some conclusions about maybe it should be a smaller book, yeah, that feels right, then that's productive thinking. But the first thing you need to do is ask yourself, is this productive or is it unproductive? I'm smiling as you were talking because it's a beautiful metaphor to remind all of us. And I really hope that people listening to us can capture that you are describing beautifully trusting ourselves and trusting in the process that we will figure out, trusting our ability to handle situations that are unexpected, uncomfortable feelings, as we may have done many times without knowing exactly how things were going to be. So I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. And thank you for sharing that. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingwithsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing with safe actions. See you soon!